Good morning, folks. Good morning, church. Good morning. Um, I'm excited to be here. If you have your Bibles, we're not in Acts, so uh, you can flip to John chapter 1. We're completed with Acts, and so um, I'm pretty excited to uh, jump into something else. Not that Acts wasn't great, but the end got repetitive. So um, we'll be in John chapter 1, and I'll briefly give you guys what we're going to be talking about, and then we'll... Uh, I have a couple things I wanted to share, and then we'll uh, get going. Sound good to you guys? Yep. Y'all love rhetorical questions that if you answer no, then it doesn't matter. So um, so uh, this morning, we're kind of going to hit, uh, what's, the, what's the purpose of Christmas? What's the, what's the big deal about Jesus coming? Okay? Um, I think if uh, we think a little deeper than uh, things like you can't spell Christmas without... Christ, right? Um, that's kind of the extent to why Christmas is a big deal to us, right? Why, why did God need to put on flesh? Why, why do we say things like that, uh, God or uh, Jesus incarnate or God incarnate? Why, why do we throw phrases around? Why is that stuff a big deal? And so uh, this morning from John chapter 1, we're going to try to unpack a little bit of uh, kind of the why behind what, what's going on with Christmas and kind of get a little more of the theology uh, behind Christmas and, and what the big deal is. And then next week, if uh, you need to know, we'll be in Matthew chapter 2. And as Liam said, uh, we'll be hitting some Old Testament passages today and next week to kind of talk through uh, the complete story of Christ's coming was not a random event, but it was something that was uh, planned long before we were even created. And so uh, it's cool. It's good stuff. And so I'm uh, excited about it. So John chapter 1. Uh, that's where we are, and the, the couple things I was going to share, and um, I don't do this often. Y'all know that if you've been here, so if it's your first time, know that this isn't something I do often, but uh, I got to thinking in my uh, reading this past week, I've been reading through Ephesians and just kind of studying it um, uh, for just personal study, and um, I try to separate. I think it's easy for you guys to think about me. Well, he's supposed to read his Bible, okay? And so um, I try to read something outside of what I'm studying to preach because it just helps me with Bible intake, right? I don't want to only my Bible intake to be what I do 8 to 5. I want it to be uh, who I am. Um, I, I want to love the Lord regardless if I'm uh, a full-time preacher or not. And so um, I was reading in Ephesians, and one of the things... Uh, I was in Ephesians 6, and one of the things that it says in there, and this is kind of a famous verse, but I think applying it, I just had an event happen that connected real life with what I was reading, which is what happens a lot. If you sit down and Bible intake, a lot of times you start applying that and seeing it playing out in life. And so one of the things that Paul writes in there is, he says, uh, he says Satan is crafty, but he says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, okay? What that means is, is, Uh, We're not necessarily wrestling against um, a person. So uh, when we get into an argument with somebody at a ball field or at a restaurant and our our blood gets boiling and uh, we want to take it out on a human being, what Paul is saying is we're not really wrestling against them. He says what we're wrestling against is a whole new scheme, right? Because Satan is crafty. Think about it. It's easy for us, you and I, to identify things that are directly against God. Amen? Right? But for us to identify things that slowly seep into culture or slowly seep into our lives, to identify those and be able to turn against those is a little harder, okay? Um, I was doing a wedding uh, about a year ago this time, Um, and I know I've been sharing a lot about weddings. It's just, I guess, wedding seasons all the time for me. And so, um, but I was doing a wedding, and and I, I just felt like 
it, it was one of those moments that this is, a, this is one of Satan's schemes rather than us wrestling against flesh and blood. I think we often honestly give Satan too much credit rather than um, owning our sin and saying, this is my fault because it's my flesh, right? We, we give Satan a little too much credit and, and Satan's using schemes in the world and how the world works. And so I hope y'all are following me because this is about, about to get to the good part. But um, I, I'm talking to a guy and um, before the wedding, I, I'm in there and I usually, the, you know, 20 minutes before I'm technically part of the wedding party and um, I'm in there talking to him and we're sitting around a table and uh, let's just say that they've been um, uh, doing some uh, not so Christian things before the wedding, okay? Just drinking heavily. And so uh, they, they're sitting there and I talked with this guy. He was asking me if I knew some pastors or theologians and we connected over a couple and we were talking. And then I look over and they were just, I mean, taking shot after shot. And so I'm like, man, this is, this is weird. You know what I mean? Like I'm talking to this guy about the Lord and theology and then the next time I look and we, we kind of have this look and, and y'all probably see this with me as well, okay? You get around the preacher and it's like, man, conviction sets in. Like I'm God, right? Like, like conviction should be from the Lord. If you're doing it because I'm around or not, then you've already lost the battle, okay? Fair enough. But I look at this guy and he's in the middle of that after we had talked about this and we lock eyes kind of like, huh, you know? And it's like, well, is he really like passionate about the Lord or... Is this weird, you know? And he looks at me, and he just does this. And then kind of turns and goes back to doing what he was doing, okay? And if I could say this, and I don't, I, don't, I guess you could maybe make a thesis and, and go on and on, but I felt it was important to share from my personal time reading. I think that's the schemes that we're facing today in the church, right? Think about it. I would say busyness and indifference are probably the biggest things that mark a true believer and not a true believer in our culture, okay? It, it's very easy for many people to just look around and look, the point of the story, if you're thinking alcohol or not, that's not the point of the story. The point of what I'm saying is it's easy for us, especially in times like now with Christmas, right, that we become indifferent to the things of God. We don't think about God often. We don't uh, pursue God supremely. There's all these things that are coming in. And listen, that's what Satan's schemes are, right? That's the schemes of the world. He's not going to say, uh, we don't need to celebrate Christmas because we're anti-God. What he's going to do is, is say, hey, let me give you a decent Christian idea that may have some Christian roots, but let's twist that so that we will miss the real meaning of what's going on, and then we will pursue something else. Y'all follow me on this? And what I think is important is that hopefully our, our pursuit of Christ and how important we see the things of God in this time of year, we don't do like that guy in that moment and just, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, Christmas is fun. We, we make a whole day about it. Uh, the retail world, I don't know if y'all know this, they call it Black Friday. You know why? Because Christmas gets them out of operating in the red. They operate in the red all year and they take a Christian holiday, right, and boom it so that it becomes more of a retail thing, okay? And I'm not trying to ruin Christmas. That's not what I'm trying to do, okay? I love Christmas. I love lights. I, I'm all for it, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that I think the scheme is that we would miss the things of God and that other things would become our priority rather than Christ. And I think that it's important for all of us to try to look for those things and self-evaluate enough so that we prioritize the Lord all the time. Is that fair, right? 
Um, we, we say often that we want to celebrate the cross and the resurrection every Sunday. Because if it's true now, then it was true, should be true next Sunday. It should be true when we're around these people. It should be true when we're doing this in life, right? We, we should never have a time in our life where we just, you know, I did it, but oh well. Right? I think that's apathy and indifference to, towards the Lord. And I don't think that's what we should do if we're trying to pursue him. Amen? Mini sermon before the sermon? Yeah, good. All right, here we go. So, other, oh, the other thing I was going to say before we go, I, do, I don't do this often, but there was two of them. I have my notes. Okay, this is why I do this, because I'm borderline ADD. Um, so, the other thing is, is uh, this will be the last Sunday. I'm assuming most of these people will be gone for the last month. So, if uh, we could... Um, this area is where the college students primarily sit. Y'all know that. So um, they'll be gone, but uh, we've had some great things happen this semester. And so uh, I wanted to just say from our church family to you guys, we're thankful for y'all. Um, I hear this all the time uh, from, I-, I hate to classify, like we say college and then adults. Y'all are adults. I don't really love that language, but we need to come up with something better. But um, uh, y'all encourage a lot of the church. Um, I think people often look around, yeah. We can celebrate them. Um, I think often people look around and they're like, well, God's not doing much. You know what I mean? Or, or the young people don't love the Lord. And we haven't done anything that spectacular for college students, okay? We started out pretty plain. We went through the book of First uh, John, which basically tells them if you're living in sin, you're living in the darkness, and you need to come to Christ and live in the light. And we just taught that over and over. And we ate meals together and hung out and... The Lord's been working in their life, and um, so we appreciate you guys and hope you have a great Christmas, and I'm assuming we won't see y'all. Well, I'll see you guys Tuesday, but the rest of you guys won't. So um, anyway, we appreciate you guys. So that's what we got. All right, here we go. John 1. I'm going to read the first five verses, uh, and then we will unpack them. I will say this this passage is uh, very deep, and so we'll we'll start unraveling it. I, I was telling uh, Liam this morning as we were talking uh, when you start unpacking John 1, um, I started with about two and a half hours of sermon material, and I tried my hardest to cut it and cut it and cut it and cut it so y'all could get home and eat lunch at a decent time, okay? So we're going to be out of here by 12.15 regardless, even if I have to stop halfway and pray and dismiss you guys, okay? So, But I say that because it does. It, it gets deep fast, okay? You know the saying, like, just throw them in the deep end and let them sink or swim? It's kind of what this text does, and so... John starts. Let me preface it by saying this. Uh, John tells us in John uh, 20, um, he, he tells us why he wrote the book of John, okay? John's one of the four gospels. Um, he was one of the guys that was one of John's disciples. He followed around, told a lot of stories. But he says this. This is why he wrote the book, okay? I wish Paul did this more often, okay? Um, he, he, Paul never says, or, or even Luke in the book of Acts, I'm writing this to you so that... And you get it, okay? Luckily, John does this, and this is what he says. What we're about to read, this is why John writes it. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. This isn't what's on the screen, by the way. Just listen. Um, Some of y'all are thinking we're off, okay? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So why did John write this? So that we would be sure of who Jesus was. Right? John wrote this. He told of miracles. He told of uh, him being the light of the world. He tells us where life is. And a lot of the thesis of the whole book of John, which is a lot, comes from these few verses. And so you can tell quickly why it's so hard. 
to unpack. So um, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to pause one time in the middle of it and explain, and then we'll get going. So John says, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. Anybody else know when we see in the beginning? Genesis 1, 1, right? In the beginning, okay, this is the first verse that um, uh, I taught our three-year-old. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John immediately ties the beginning of creation to Jesus. Why is that? Because he's trying to get across that Jesus isn't a rescue plan. He's trying to get across that uh, this isn't a random thing. He's trying to tie Christ to the big story. You know what I mean? Um, he's trying to tie Christ to being there in the beginning, that he was the one who made all things. He was with God in the beginning. He is eternal too. Jesus wasn't not there and then was created as a baby. Okay, we'll get to this in a minute. But he was there in the beginning too. And that's the connection that John is trying to make. And we'll just read the rest of it. And the word was with God. When you see word, it's Logos. It's talking about Jesus. And the word was God. This is important. Let me pause there. The word was God. This is an important verse. Why? This is what separates a lot of other religions from Christianity. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Jews, Muslims, you name it. Okay? A lot of that hinges on who Jesus is. If Jesus is God, he's part of the Trinity, then we're right. If Jesus was just a prophet that was trying to tell about the Father, like many of them say, then we have it wrong, okay? But what John is saying here is that Jesus was God. He was in the beginning. He was there. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He is God himself. He's not a created being, as some of them will teach. Verse 2, he was in the beginning. You see what John's trying to get across? Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's hard to translate that type of verse in Greek. They would use negatives to point to the positive. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we're going to unpack this, and we're going to spend the majority of our time, about half the time, on point one, and then the next two points come from verse four and five, which are a little more like applications. And so let's pray, and we'll get into it for about 35 minutes. Uh, Lord, we love you, and God, we're thankful for your word. God, we're thankful that we don't have to guess at who you are. God, we don't have to guess what you're trying to teach us. We don't have to look in the, the clouds and circumstances to try to figure out who you are. But God, through your word, God, in the beginning, you gave us your word, and God, uh, your word is how you gave us revelation and communicated who you are to us. And God, as we'll see in a second, we're thankful that we also got, got to see that in who Christ was, as he became word, as he became uh, flesh. And God, your word says that he was the exact radiance of your glory. He was you wrapped in flesh. And so through Jesus, we get to see who you are as well. And so, God, we're thankful for that. God, we're thankful, uh, God, for salvation, for the gospel. And, Lord, I pray now as we unpack some uh, big ideas, some uh, big truths, God, would you be with us? Would you grant us uh, wisdom and mercy? 
Um, God, would you, uh, not only would you help us understand more, but God, would you work on our heart in this time? God, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers, but God, we would be doers as well. God, help this filter through our minds to our heart and change the way we live. Uh, God, would it stir our affections for you? And God, would you help us put you at the center of all we do and all we are? And we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody says, amen. How many of you have ever been around somebody who, uh, I don't know a nice way of saying this. There's a lot of phrases that I can't say from stage that uh, they, they act like they know what they're talking about on a surface level, but they really don't. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like uh, people that are, uh, it bothers me because I used to be this way and I think that I got finally called out for it enough and I realized it wasn't Christ-like that you try to uh, beat around the bush or manipulate and uh, kind of like a good salesman. You know what I mean? Like you know just enough, you're, you're trying overly hard to connect with somebody and you can just read in like the first 30 seconds, this is what? Fake. You know what I mean? Like they really don't know they're just trying to win me. You know what I mean? Like you're a project of theirs and they're trying to manipulate you or get you to what you want. Well, um, th this happened not long ago. One of the people that were coming to my house to work, uh, one of the guys there, if you've been to my house, okay, um, I had to get a special septic tank because of the perk test, which I may have lost some of you women, but that's okay. Um, I had to get a special septic permit because my soil is so sandy. It's gray, okay? In Georgia, you normally have red mud, okay? Well, he kept saying, yeah, your soil looks so red, we probably don't need to work because it'll track everywhere and we'll end up having uh, to clean up a lot behind ourselves. And he kept saying it over and over and over. And finally, I'm like, all right, bud, if you keep saying this, I'm eventually going to have to tell you, you're just trying to like sound smart. My soil is not red mud. I mean, really, it's like he was just kept saying it and kept saying it. And so finally, I looked at him and I'm like, man, I know that you may not want to work or work or whatever your reasoning, but this is not red mud. Like, we had to get soil tests and science done behind this, and this is not red mud. And, he, and then he just kept going and going and going, and I'm finally like, look, it's okay. I, you know, it was just kind of an awkward conversation because in the midst of it, he, he kind of realized that he had this superficial knowledge of what he was saying, and then when it got pierced to the actual thing, he's like, oh, you know? And then he kept trying to beat around the bush and, 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 and say and justify, etc. okay? I say that, you're like, Dustin, that's a weird story. Why are you talking about that? Okay, here's why. I think in a sense, the majority of our culture and Christianity does that with Christmas. Right? Why did Jesus come? You had to answer that. Send you home with homework. Write five sentences. Why did Jesus come to earth? A little harder than you think, you know what I mean? Or what is the gospel? thought about start doing this in heart and soul at the end of it seriously explain to us the gospel in three paragraphs where do we start how do we do this and what happens is and, and listen i'm passionate about this if y'all can't tell i'm very passionate about this here's why i think it's so normal in our culture that we come to church we hear somebody talk about it that seems like they kind of know what they're talking about um we we get excited or um we are trying to push along in our faith but we never stop long enough to embrace the things of God and think about God long enough to have a foundation for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? And so then things like Christmas come and we don't really know what it is or why it happens. And so then we, we say things like, you can't spell Christmas without Christ. The second time I mentioned it today already. Okay. 
Or, or we, we, we come up with a cliche thing. So listen, uh, there's a reason for the season. And all that stuff is very true, okay? Like, that's good stuff. But we need to understand the big narrative. Like, what was God doing? Why, why did Jesus need to come? Did, when Jesus came, was three-year-old baby Jesus still God? I was going to use this as an example, and then I'll go ahead and kind of share it. My, I have a three-year-old to think that he would be God. Weird. Okay? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But, but we need to think through some of this. And so I say when you start opening this can of worms, you can tell now how it's like the yarn never quits, okay? And so I've tried to divide this into three things. The, the bottom two are a little more application. But from this, we get three things. I'm going to give you all three points. We'll spend the majority of time on the first one. It's kind of divided into three subsections. And then we'll unpack it. The first one that we get from this, it's going to sound silly, but we need to understand it is that Jesus is God. Okay, that's important, very important. The second thing is Jesus is where we find life. He says this. If you remember back a couple sermons ago, I talked about John 17, 3. We'll get there again. But he says, this is eternal life that you know the one true God. It's through Jesus we have life, big L life. And Point three, Jesus is the light of the world. It's funny that, you know, often when we think about what, what the church is and we explain, if somebody says, what's the church? Like, how do you make a church? How, how do you, you know, when, when we were planting a church, well, how do you start a church? Hadn't church has always just been around, you know? Oh, at some point, somebody else planted the churches and they've been here, you know, etc. But it's funny that, you know, even when you think about Christmas, Christmas was about being missional. Right? Christmas was about God coming to win the souls of people, right? to shed his blood. Um, and so it's all been a part of the missions, and the whole Bible is the basis for missions. Right? God's always been about missions. In the Old Testament, he was using the Israelites to be missional to the other nations, and now he's using the church to be missional to everybody. Okay? It's always been a missional piece, and then it concludes in Revelation. And so we'll see how Jesus being the light of the world was also relate to us being part of the mission. So here we go. Jesus is God. Let's read a couple verses again and we'll unpack it. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The first thing we see about Jesus being God is that he was in the beginning. He was before creation, okay? Let me think about this, okay? This is important. When things play out, God already knew, okay? We talk about this God's sovereignty and wrestling with some of this, but the Father, the Son, and Spirit, three separate beings, were already perfectly in unity before they created the world, before they created people, before Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. There was the Trinity. Jesus was there. Jesus was not a created being. He was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2. That's a good sports center. I know that tone too, whoever it is. He was in the beginning with God. And then he says this, all things were made through him. And without him, not anything made was made. You see, Jesus wasn't created 2,000 years ago. We, all, we often think that. That uh, all of a sudden, in you know, 1 AD where we measure time, there was just this Jesus came. Jesus existed in spirit with the Father, Son, and Spirit. They were all three there. He put on flesh 
listen, without emptying himself of his godly characteristics, okay, put on flesh, was born as a baby, and now he still sits in human flesh as he did when he walked earth with the Father, and that's who we'll go to to be judged at the end, okay? That's this baby that's being born at Christmas. You see, one of the things Liam said, and he kind of said, spoiler alert, we're actually going to read some of that this morning, is Jesus being God means that Jesus wasn't a rescue plan, right? Think about it. How often are we taught people were bad, God flooded the earth, he saved Noah, right? Noah was a rescue plan. Um, well, what happened after that? Then he started using the Israelites, and then people got so bad, he finally just sent a Savior, but that poses the question of, what about the people before Jesus, right? How, 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 how does this happen? What's God's big plan here, okay? Here's how we know Jesus wasn't a random rescue plan. He didn't scratch his head for uh, about 6,000 years before Christ came like, I wonder how I'm going to save these people. Because if he's sovereign, if he's God, if he's in the beginning and he's in the end, he has to know. You know what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't a rescue plan. He had a plan from the beginning. Jesus came as a predetermined plan at a perfect time that God had already established. And that's what the people were waiting for. Think about this. I'm going to read Isaiah 53. And when he says him, this is a singular male, okay, in the Hebrew, a singular male that is forelooking to a person, a real person to come. For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he made no form of majesty that we should look at him. What that means is he was like a normal person, like you and I. Jesus was born like you and I. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and has one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. It goes down, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are what? Healed. That's before Jesus came, right? So what that shows us is that when Jesus did come, it wasn't a random rescue plan. It was planned before, right? Listen, the whole gospel, the whole point of Christmas is set up so that God gets glory, Okay, that you and I can't do it ourselves, but that God himself would create a plan that would give him glory, that he would come and he would pay the price. Another th way that this says is Hebrews 1. I want to read it and we'll be done with this one. I know this is kind of hard to get our minds around, but Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this. Long ago, this is New Testament. This is after Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke to our fathers of the faith through the prophets, which is the prophets we have in Scripture, right? Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Micah, you go on and on. These people, God spoke through them. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about this. You know, in Genesis 1-1, we said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you all know what he did to create? He did what? He spoke words, and then creation happens. What do they talk about here? What do they compare Jesus to? Jesus is the word. You see that? 
There's something special about words and Jesus being Logos, the word. We'll get to that in just a second. I'll explain a little more. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is what we just talked about. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Primary thing we need to see here of Jesus being God is that this wasn't rescue. This wasn't accident. It was planned long before you and I were even here, right? It was planned before the foundations of the world. The second thing we learn from this and we see here is that uh, he was our exact representation of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. You see, there was a lot of debate, a lot of heresies that came up when Jesus was born because people think, how could, a, how could God take on flesh? Kind of like we were talking about. But one of the things we have to know is that when Jesus was born, he didn't become something less than God, right? He didn't empty himself of godly characteristics to put on human ones, okay? He never subtracted. When he was born in flesh as a baby, he only added flesh, right? They didn't subtract anything. It's important that we know that when Jesus came, he was fully God and fully man, okay? And why is that important? Because it says when he, uh, there's a, a heresy called Arianism where they said that he emptied himself of his, some of his godly characteristics, when he was uh, in flesh, he wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't everywhere. He didn't know everything. But that's not the case, right? Jesus was God the whole time, even as a baby. It's funny when you think about why John wrote this, and it's kind of dual purpose. But for the Jews, that the word, meaning he was the word, logos in Greek, it kind of had a, a, a special meaning for them when they say Jesus was the word because that's how God personified himself to them, right? It says through the prophets, God what? Spoke words, right? It says that God spoke to do that. And so now for the Jews, when they're thinking of a coming savior and John says he in the beginning was the word, they're already thinking that God would use that, right? So he, he kind of overlaps the two saying this is how it happens. And then for the Greeks, the, the non-Jews, the other people around, this is how they overlapped logos, kind of the universe with material things. Anybody have trouble with that? I think so, because some of y'all look like I'm crazy already. Listen, sometimes it's kind of hard to think of God in the universe and how that plays out on earth, right? Like, like what's the connection there? Like the universe, God separated from the world, and then how you and I are fleshly and this is reality to us. How does that overlap? The Greeks had that issue too. You know what overlaps those two? Jesus becoming flesh. That's why it had to happen, right? He goes from that form to human form for many reasons, okay? But that's the overlap. That's the connection between God and material things, the, the things we can actually see and touch. It's Jesus. He was our exact representation of God. He didn't lose any divinity, but rather he only added flesh. The third thing, and we'll spend the most time on this because I think it makes this more practical for us. I know if you had trouble following me, this is about to get a lot easier, okay? But Jesus being born as a child in Bethlehem is what eventually gets us to Calvary, right? We can't process the Christmas story without the cross and the resurrection because it's the beginning of it, right? Think about this. If Jesus wasn't a rescue plan, that's why it's important that he was God. Bethlehem, as beautiful as it can be, cannot be interpreted apart from Calvary and what Jesus came to do as a predetermined mission of sacrifice. 
And see, it's Jesus being born that we learn the heart of God. Think about this with me, okay? I'm going to try to make this as, as, as practical as I can. Two huge characteristics of God. The first one is God is gracious, right? He, he, he is, he's gracious to us. Why is God full of grace? Because he gave us Jesus when we couldn't earn it. The other one is God is completely holy. He's separate from us. He has no flaws. He is perfect and only perfect. He can't act outside of being perfect. But without one or the other, you don't have Christmas and you don't have God becoming flesh. Why is that? Well, how do we connect Christmas and him coming in the flesh to who God is and what he did for us in the gospel? The first one is, if God is only gracious but not holy, think about this. If God is only gracious but not holy, then there would be no reason for Jesus to go and shed blood for our sins. Why? Because God would just wipe over our sins and accept everybody. Think about this. Okay, here's the most practical thing I can do. Here's a, a shot into heart and soul. We, we talk about this in heart and soul. If somebody did something very terrible to a family member close to you, and they go on trial, and on trial you have a what? A judge. And that judge is standing there, and they come in, and the person that did something so terrible to your family member is standing before the judge. And, I mean, they did something bad, like robbed your family member, beat them up, bad uh, they, they deserve some, some, some justice. They deserve some, uh, some penalty for their actions, okay? And what that judge does is they come in and you're sitting there and they're sitting there and you're frustrated and that judge looks at them and says, you know what, you seem like you're sorry. We're just going to sweep this under the rug and act like it never happened and you're not going to get any punishment. How many of y'all think that's a good judge? Nobody. Why? Because we know that injustice, things that are bad, should be punished, right? So if that's not a good judge, then would God be a good judge if he said, you unholy people, right? You just come to me and there has to be no sacrifice for your sins. You're, you're sinful. You don't deserve to come to me. We're just going to be all accepting and come to me with nothing paying for your sins. You wouldn't have Christmas. Why? Because he's, Jesus is born as a baby in the flesh to ultimately do what? Pay for our sins because something had to pay for our sins because we're unholy and God is holy. Y'all follow me on that? The flip side is if God only cared about holiness, there would be no Christmas. Why? Because instead of sending Jesus to be our sacrifice, what would he do? He would tell us to do it on our own. Right? You don't need a baby Jesus if you can earn it yourself. And so if God's only holy, he's going to say, be like me. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps, work harder, be holier, and then I will accept you. That didn't happen. You know why that didn't happen? Because it couldn't happen because we're unholy people and he's holy. So God, out of his grace, out of his holiness, sent the only one that could be full of grace and full of holiness, right? Think about this. This is why it's so important that Jesus didn't sin. Why? Because if he sinned like you and me, he couldn't pay for the sins of other people too. It would be an imperfect sacrifice, right? And so Jesus in himself is why Christmas is so important because in Christmas we get the full heart of God, right? We get God's grace in Jesus coming because did anybody earn Jesus? No, right? Christmas shows us God's grace, but it also shows us God's wrath and just, justness, right? That's why we say often that the cross is where 
mercy and wrath and grace and wrath perfectly come together. God had to pour out his wrath that you and I deserve on something. And by God's grace, it wasn't us, right? He poured his wrath out on who? Christ. And he absorbed it for us. And now all it takes is faith for us to come to a relationship with him. Now to get a little more practical, we'll move on to the couple next points and we'll be done. Point two, Jesus is where we find life. I want to read verse four because it kind of gets into why this is practical, okay? What, what, what else did Jesus coming do for us? Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Listen, Jesus is where we find life. We talked about this the other day, but often we, we, get, on this, uh, we get on this scale of what's going to fulfill me, right? What's going to do it for me? And what we see here is that in Christ, that's where our ultimate fulfillment is found. Jesus came to be our sacrifice and pay for our sins, but not only did he do that for us, he's offering us eternal life, right? He's offering us fulfillment and purpose and, and for us to be completely satisfied so that we don't have to chase things in the world that will try to satisfy us. I share this often because I think it's a, a great illustration, but this is how C.S. Lewis talks about it, okay? He says, when you're a baby, I have one of those now, a 10-month-old. He woke up this morning early, and guess all he wanted? He screamed and screamed and screamed, and only one thing was going to satisfy him. You know the only thing that's going to satisfy a 10-month-old? Food. More specifically, a bottle. All he wants. Give him that bottle, it's like, I mean, like, the room is tense because he's screaming. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, boom, it's fine. Then you get to, like, three or four-year-olds. The only thing that's going to satisfy them Toys. They just want stuff. You know what I mean? Then you get a little older, maybe middle school. Some of you have middle schoolers or think back to when you were in middle school. What's going to do it for you? Reputation, friends. You know what I mean? It's like in that. So that it's such a vulnerable, emotional stage for them. Why? Because they first start looking around at other people. You know what I mean? It's like, I've got to impress them. I've got to fit in with them. And we start looking for life. We start looking for fulfillment in other people for the first time. And then you go in this whirlwind, and, and what do you say? In 10 years, this won't be that big a deal. That's hard for us as adults to understand. You know what I mean? Like, we want fulfillment in life now. Listen, that's why we chase sin, myself included. Why? Because we think that we'll find life in something other than Christ. And what we see in Christmas is that that's the only place life is going to be found is in Christ. That's where our fulfillment comes from. So what happens when you get to high school? Reputation kind of personifies, but that's usually when like the girl-guy thing starts going on. You know what I mean? Either you're solely on your reputation, but you start kind of, you hit puberty after that, and then it's like, okay, I gotta, we got more I got to figure out, right? But then we realize, okay, well, high school ends. Let me go to college. Why do we go to college? Because having a good job is going to do it for you, right? If you go to college, you'll get a better job and more money. That'll do it for you, right? That'll satisfy you. That's life. And then you get a good job and money, and you live a good life, right? You fulfill the things. You have money. And then you want what? More money because you're not satisfied, because you need more things. What are we searching for in all of these stages of life? We're searching for big L life, right? Like they, use in, like they say here. We're searching for fulfillment, which is the only thing that only place we're going to find it is in Christ. And then we say what? After money does it, I'm tired of working, but I still want money. So we do what? 
Retire. Yeah. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Some of y'all hadn't thought about it. It's coming, right? It's coming for me. Right? I'm already thinking about it. Hey, how can I set myself up well so that I can retire good? You know what the problem is? You'll never retire with enough money. You'll look at somebody else that retired with more money than you and say, I should have done better when I was younger so that I could have what they have. Fair enough? Right? And then you start getting to the end of your life. And then what happens is we start realizing this thing is coming called what? Death. And it's a serious thing. And what happens when we start thinking about serious things is we start thinking about things like purpose. What am I here for, God? What am I, what am I doing? You know what I mean? I, I, I can't be here by accident. Somebody created me. I, I look around. I didn't create the world. I didn't create these other people. There's got to be something bigger than me. And you know what you realize? You realize you were created. You were created by God, a creator. And then you start thinking about the Lord. You start thinking, man, well, if he created me, he's holy. But the problem is I can't come to a holy God. Why? We just talked about this. Because we're sinful, right? And then you realize there's a separation from that God that created me. And my sole purpose is to know him and glorify him. But I can't do that. I can't come to him. He's not going to accept me because of my sin. And then what happens? In all of that long story I just told you, Christmas. Right? Christmas enters the picture. God is so gracious to us. He sent Jesus in flesh for many reasons. One being so that he could suffer for us, right? There's nothing that we suffer on earth that Jesus didn't, right? He, he, he's, the, he's the great uh, sympathizer, the great empathizer, right? He's experienced it. He suffered a death he shouldn't, as we see, right, in Isaiah. And what happens is we see that he's the one that brings us to God and gives us purpose and gives us big old life. And what happens is, is that starts playing out even more. I got to thinking, how, how does that play out practically if Jesus is our life? There's a couple things. I think it gives us supernatural confidence and supernatural humility. Right? When we find our complete life in Jesus, our purpose in Jesus, how does it give us confidence? It gives us confidence because when we realize life is found in Christ, that we don't have to live for other people. We're freed. You know why we sing things like that? I was just reading an article this past week. It was on, a, it was on an Apple article, okay? Well, if you know this, if you read news from Apple, you're not getting a God-centered worldview. You know what I mean? You're getting other worldviews, but I sometimes read it because I just like to keep up. You know what the, 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 the article was talking about? How to find life, what your purpose is, you know what I mean? How to have, uh, how to have confidence and identity and not be shaken. You know how you have that in Christ? You don't have to live for people. And what the guy said in the article was that he was actually imprisoned, but he wasn't in prison. You know what he was imprisoned by? People, right? It's like we're in, we're in chains to what culture tells us to do or what people tell us to do. And we can't live for Christ fully. We don't fully understand the Christmas story and the gospel. And we can't play that out in practical life. Now we just live for Christ. And then guess what? If you just live for Christ, what happens? You feel free, right? You can say what you need to say and not feel bad about it. You can, you can, uh, you can communicate well. You don't have to beat around the bush. You remember we were talking about that at the beginning? You don't have to do that if you're confident in Christ. You just say it. 
And so it starts playing out in practical ways. How does it give us supernatural humility? Anybody in here want to be confident and have humility? Right? Both? Yeah? Well, looking at Christ, that's what we get. When we live for Christ, what happens then is we have the ultimate humility because in our identity in Christ, we see that when we look at the gospel, we couldn't do it. So every day we wake up and say, God, thank you. God, thank you for Christmas. And why do we thank God for Christmas? Because ultimately Christmas is what got us to Calvary, where Jesus died for our sins, gave us a new identity, made us a new creation, resurrected from the dead so that he could be approved by the Father, saying this sacrifice is accepting to me so that now all of you can be made sons of God, right? All of you can be daughters and sons of the Almighty One who created you through the blood that Jesus shed for you. Right? And we start connecting this big picture to how it plays out in our life. I hope I'm doing that well. But we have to connect it all. Right? You can't have one or the other. The third thing, I think this is good, is Jesus is the light of the world. I told you all when you start unpacking this, it gets to be a lot. But verse 5, and then we're done. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John loved this idea. Okay, We, we talk about it a lot in... Uh, First John, when we were doing that as a church way back, but then we also see it all throughout the book of John, this idea of light and darkness, right? Um, how, does, how does the light shine in the darkness? There's, let me just explain this and we'll be done. The first one is light pierces the darkness, okay? Rachel and I, our biggest fights happen when one of us are sitting in a completely dark room and the other one walks in with our flashlight on on our phone. You know what I mean? Maybe y'all don't have that happen. I don't know. But you're sitting there all dark, and all of a sudden you just see, you know what I mean? And then Rachel makes faces that scare me. She don't have to say a word. She's like, you know, and by the face I'm like, oh, gosh, what did I do wrong, you know? It's the light. Why? The light just pierces it. Boom. You know what else the light does that Jesus did? And this is where, where Christmas causes us to get to a place of humility, is the light shines light on our darkness. Right? Think about this. The closer we get to the light, the more that Jesus shines his light on our darkness, which then in return causes us to repent more and come back to Jesus. That's all repent means, to come back to Jesus over and over and over, more and more and more. Why? Because Jesus is the light and the one that we're coming. And the closer the darkness gets to the light, the more light shines on it. Think about this. What long ago, um, I remember this like it was yesterday because it was slightly embarrassing, but um, we, we had had trouble with people trying to break into our offices at the church in Vidalia. And so we had a camera up um, in the back of it, and there were double doors. And in the double doors, um, we would often come in so where people would try to break in. We had a camera up. Well, one day it was dark, okay? Um, I was doing something. I had the door, unlock the double doors. I start walking in, and I'm walking across it. The camera can video you, which was slightly embarrassing, but I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking, and boom, I slip. Slap on the ground. Guess what? Camera got it. It's funny. You know what I mean? You're slapping. Boom. I couldn't, I couldn't see that mess, right? I couldn't see the dirtiness. Why? Because it was dark. I walk over there, flip on the lights. Immediately, what do I see on the ground? I'd forgotten that when it rains hard, water comes in under our doors, and water was everywhere, and I see it immediately. What the Christmas story does for us a lot is if we see it correctly, it shines light on mine and your life in the darkness in it, right? How does it do that? Why does it do that? 
Because it's, it, <laughs> the reason light came into the world, and that's a big deal, is because in Christ, the hard part, the hard part for us to submit to is that when the perfect one was born, it now gives us a standard to live up to. Right? And the reality is, we know what? None of us can live up to baby Jesus' standard. And so then it starts shedding light on our sin, on our dirty parts, and we have to do something about it. Right? What does Jesus want us to do? What does God want us? He wants us to repent and turn to him. But that takes humility. That's why we say often that to pursue the Lord for a long time with him supremely, it's going to be a lot of repenting. Christmas causes us, if we think about it rightly, to examine our lives well. It makes us look at our life and say, where, where do I maybe need to repent? Right? Because baby Jesus is born. He's perfect. He's God. He's, he's the, 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 the bridge for us to come to the Lord He's perfect. And then we hold our self up in light of it, myself included. One of the things we say is we hope that we preach a standard that nobody can reach, right? Because none of us can get there, but we're holding that up in light of who we are. Because our natural, sinful, fleshly bodies, we want to compare ourselves to something that we're a little better than. Amen? You get in a hard spot? I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or I'm doing more than so-and-so. That's not where we need to be. And so as we finish, the, the last thing I just want to say is repentance and what Christ coming into the world causes us to do when we reflect on it is to come back to the light, right? to come back to Christ. And the way we do that is by seeing repentance and turning back to God over and over is a sign of strength, not weakness. Think about this. Last thing, we're done. When somebody comes forward maybe to the altar or somebody says, I need to repent, what are our immediate thoughts? What did they do Friday night? Or, man, I wonder what you did. But if Jesus is the light of the world and we're sinful flesh, the closer we get to Christ, the more we repent, right? When I'm in a good place with Christ, I realize more of my sin, which causes me to repent more. And so what the whole gospel story does, Jesus being born, is causes us to look at a reflection of Christ, and it causes us to examine where we are in light of the whole big story and how we can play a part in it. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, we love you. God, I'm thankful for your word. And God, as we attempted to unpack this, which probably should have been about four sermons, God, I pray that there would be pieces of it that would uh, convict us. God, there would be pieces of it that cause us to... Um, God, repent and see you for who you are. God, I pray that when we think about Christmas and think about why Jesus came, God, we don't just get to the, God, maybe the, the shortcuts, but God, that we think about you, we think about the big parts of the story. God, we think about the beginning. We think about how you work before Christ and what Christ means. And God, during all that, I pray that we would apply it to our lives. God, I pray that we would find life in you. I pray that we would find our identity in you. I pray we would find supernatural confidence, humility in you. And God, I pray that as we see, God, that we would continue to walk in the light. And Lord, thank you for these people. God, I, I thank you for their hearts to be here, their hearts to grow. 
And Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir our affections for you through your word. And we love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen, amen, amen. Love you guys so much. See you next Sunday.